Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast, a place where design and development overlap. Brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Chris, your host. Uh, today, I'm with Mike Bowser. He's formerly the Global Creative Director at the AP. He's the current design director in charge of design systems at Vistaprint, um, which you guys uh, uh, might be knowing. Or, well, here, let me retake that, actually. He's the design director in charge of design systems for Vista, which you guys might formerly know as Vistaprint. Uh, he also teaches the design systems course at the Parsons School of Design. Mike, thanks for being with us. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I was really excited in this conversation, largely because you take this historical perspective to systems thinking and a systems point of view and kind of like this idea of, of three work teaching an understanding of, of where all this stuff comes from. So help me understand a little bit about that historical context that sort of informs how you think about this world. Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was really excited to have the opportunity to teach the class and that required putting together a curriculum and you know, obviously trying to figure out how to break up this emerging and kind of complex subject. So one of the areas that I wanted to focus on was the evolution of design systems and that allowed me to go back and, and really kind of dig in, you know, all the way back hundreds of years and what that has looked like uh, in change over time. So where does the starting point really, I guess, begin for you in this this historical viewpoint? Well, I went all the way back to movable type, as a lot of folks do when they talk about design and design systems. And I, I just kind of looked at what some of the important evolutions in graphic design over time. And so, you know, probably not unlike what you would have in a history of graphic design course, but I, I kind of focused in on specifically how decisions were being made that would facilitate efficiency and design at scale. And I found that to be a really interesting place to sort of focus. So, you know, the evolution of identity systems and starting even going back further than that, you know, starting to develop specific typefaces for organizations and the idea that an organization might be represented by uh, a particular typeface and then how that those design patterns would start to become easier and, and more scalable for designers contributing to that system. Gotcha. So this idea that there is identity that is wrapped up in your system that ultimately represents, you know, a concept or, or an organization or a person even. I, I think that that was an important part in the evolution of systems because when corporations started, I mean, this goes back to late 1800s and early 1900s, start to be identified by identity systems. But then in particular, in, in a systems thinking way, how design patterns started to kind of emerge out of some of those decisions and allow for design at scale, which I found to be super interesting, obviously, especially in the context of, of teaching design systems. Gotcha. So when you think about the, the evolution from type systems and, and identity into more modern concepts like Alexandrian patterns and atomic design. Help, help me understand like how you go from thinking about those very early systems into that more modern context. Sure, yeah. One of the examples that really stood out to me, which I like, was Unigrid's system. And, and I think that that's one that gets referenced a lot, uh, and it should. That was designed in 1977 and then went on to win a presidential design award in 1985. And one of the quotes 
from that was the program fulfills the primary objective of a design system, which is reducing routine decisions so that efforts can be concentrated on quality. And I really like that idea. And, you know, in looking at that system, you know, super tight grid structure and typography and everything that was needed to create super effective design at scale. And so I think coming out of the what might be considered more sort of traditional design considerations, typography, color, grid, and structure, and going into digital product design. I, I think that the concentration is still there in thinking about how to create a system that can scale, but maintains quality so that you're giving the the freedom, empowering designers to make good decisions, mm-hmm. uh, but but do that in a way that still maintains that that quality thread. So the idea of, of scale, it, it's less about necessarily the ability to to have a bunch of digital products or to have a large team involved in design, but a lot more leans on that that effectiveness, that ability to reduce the mundane so that you can focus on things like quality or you know, create those repeatable patterns. So there's not a redefinition every time you try to build a a part of a product. I think so. Yeah. And it's an interesting space. I mean, obviously like designing systems is not a new thing. I think that having dedicated teams is a little bit more of a new thing meeting in the past few years. And now you're seeing large organizations kind of scale that concept. And it does give the opportunity to look at some of the more underserved or areas that have benefited from less focus throughout apps and applications and and see what can be made more interesting about that. How can that be further connected to whatever an organization's identity or or differentiation in visual design might be? Yeah, it's a really interesting concept because we talk frequently about the preeminent thesis of why design systems exist. That interdisciplinary, cross-functional workspace where people collaborate around these patterns is obviously a really essential part of it. And it goes beyond just components that are visualizing code in a repo or well-structured design files that have, you know, a managed set of variants and and good handoff tools and all that other sort of stuff. It's really about this representation of this collaborative space where people go to to actually define and build these patterns. Have you seen that that gap play out in your experience or or change in some meaningful way as you've kind of begun to think about this from a a historical context moving into your role now? I I have, yeah. I mean, part of what attracted me to systems, and I hear this as a theme when I hear uh, other people that have talked about their experience in systems, is sort of, I think, like the hybrid nature of designers that find systems work interesting. I taught myself early on how to code, and I like the idea of being able to prototype. I was always fascinated with what was possible with design in code, what it actually looks like in a product UI. And so I think, you know, for a lot of folks that I've worked with, that that has also been true. And so visualizing design in that way and, and actually being able to access code is critical. And I see that in a lot of instances, you know, especially in my new role now, you know, being able to kind of go in and actually see what happens when it's not as easy for a designer to control everything about the design. And that's where, when you start to get into uh, localization and different aspect ratios for images and different cropping at different sizes, it's not necessarily anything new in terms of the challenges of digital product design. But when you can move the conversation to being able to see 
how these components or patterns are actually holding up or where they break and flex, um, it, it becomes a lot more meaningful in terms of those conversations and, and how to make adjustments. Gotcha. And you're actually rooting something in the medium it's destined for instead of this idea of, let's think about this more abstractly. I, I love the idea that a lot of these concepts aren't new on their own, but the way we're thinking about working on them is somewhat new. And like you said, there's this is the first time just very recently, I would say within the past three or maybe five years, you've actually had a lot of dedicated teams to these sorts of practices. I think it's where you get design ops. I think it's where you get design systems. I think it's where you get a lot of these you know, structured systems for tackling exactly this space of, of how do we collaborate more closely into a medium that ultimately is consumed by users. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been interesting to see that develop. I mean, you know, I think it started with organizations thinking about UX maturity and what that has looked like for teams. And now you have a lot of very UX mature organizations. And and I think then design ops and systems started to evolve in many ways organically. There was a need that was filled. And, and I think it's been nice to see that evolution continue and to have adjacent teams start to think about the benefits of working with design ops and design systems and how that might help them, you know, what they're bringing to digital product design. Gotcha. So you see design systems almost as this natural organic extension of work that was already happening with a systems-based viewpoint in in UX. I think so. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it's kind of codifying some of those decisions and, and research and scaling that out. And for me, that's been important when I think about components evolving into patterns. And I try not to get too hung up on language around how components might be broken out. Language is, is critical. I, I, I try to be consistent uh, sort of behind the scenes of systems and you know how we do that work together. But I think having the UX rationale be a little bit easier to access for anybody that's working with the system benefits the organization as a whole. And, and there's a clear understanding of why decisions were made. And then that's what provides that focus of, okay, I don't know that I need to rethink this right now. Let me go and look at some other part. Gotcha. And so how is your, <laughs> this is going to be kind of a funny question. So you've, you've been doing this for, for a while. You've been thinking about this stuff in a historical context. You've lived some of these historical contexts. Give me a sense of that journey, right? From, from going from, from working in this industry, you know, a number of years ago where these sort of established systems didn't exist and now looking at a much more more modern or even to the future viewpoint where these systems are are front and center in the creative process associated with building an application you know for you personally what has that what what has changed in in your career path there a lot has changed since i've been doing this i mean i i remember i worked in an early startup that was actually called myway.com way back in the day when you know internet portals were kind of the the thing and everyone was trying to figure out what that space looked like. And then, and even before, like looking at identity systems that were just starting to kind of lean into what it was going to look like online, that was really fascinating to me. And to, to see the work that people were doing, thinking about all of the different areas that would need to be considered as, you know, organizations were kind of transitioning online. And then that growth, I mean, for me personally, I, I probably like violated, uh, a ton of like best practices in, you know, stumbling my way into kind of learning about the right way to do things. And um, what became clear was that if, if you took the time to, you know, really kind of think through, but not overthink, just start with enough 
components and patterns to start to put things together in a meaningful way, that had a lot of positive impact. And then it also got buy-in and adoption because it became easier to build with and design with because the pieces were already there and in place. And so it became very helpful. Yeah, those fundamental building blocks being what you started with instead of a, a blank screen. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. You know, now you've gone from thinking about this in a startup context to, you know, leading this at, at rather you know, substantial and important organizations. You know, through that journey, how do you think about team dynamics within this sort of systems point of view? How do you think about adoption of these sorts of, of systems? I, I think about it a lot through the lens of the people that are contributing to the system and then will need to work with the system. And so thinking about the design system as a product, which a lot of folks that I've listened to over the years uh, have talked about. So certainly not a new concept, but I think an important one, understanding how to apply the same good product management principles that you would to any other product to a system, meaning listening to uh, your stakeholders, listening to the folks that are going to have to work with this, understanding what they need, and then baking that in and making sure that there's all of the necessary feedback mechanisms and prototyping mechanisms to make sure that it's not a one-sided conversation. Mm -hmm. And how's your teaching kind of informed that? Or is it the other way around? Has, has your experience informed your your teaching? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I learned a lot, like I said, by going deep in research and my hats off to all the pioneers, both back in the day and in the contemporary sense that have kind of eked out a path to make systems more of a tangible thing for large organizations. So I, I learned a ton in that research and then I learned from the students who take the course And again, focusing on people, I think is really critical. I'm kind of interested now, like when I think about team building uh, for design systems, you know, now we have a lot of product designers with great design systems experience. I think it's also important, and and I would recommend for other folks that are putting teams together to to also look at skill sets that can help us think differently about how we uh, develop and apply systems meaning there's a need obviously to be super organized and i think that design systems designers probably also could be very good good project managers and and tend to be very detail oriented and that's important but i think it's also important to kind of challenge the system that you're developing and making sure that you're trying things that you know probably you shouldn't be trying and maybe it won't work but at least you're sparking some conversation and take a look at that and you, you probably will have enough people within your broader team to kind of, you know, give feedback on that. But it's important to have that kind of innovative mindset. So is that about just sparking innovation or is that about trying to be innovative in a new way because this is still an evolving space and an evolving industry where not all the best practices are known or baked into to our daily work? It's certainly about understanding that it's still a process of discovery and and kind of baking in some of those best practices. But I think it's also critically important to remember that we are still designing. And so we are still trying to differentiate a product and an experience through design. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to become too reliant on efficiency alone. It's not just about that. It, It is for sure. But I think it's also about making sure that as as those decisions create the space to improve quality in other areas, that 
that then you're looking at, well, how actually are we going to do that? What, what are the things that we're carving out the space for? And how are we going to maybe, you know, become a little bit uncomfortable with where we're going to see if these ideas can work? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. There's always this question of how do I have a system that is highly scalable, that is able to adapt and mold itself to a lot of different, you know, design requirements, right? The idea that a design system can be constraining or feel constraining instead of empowering. Um, how do you view that? And and through what lens do you talk to, to people on your team um, when they run up to those constraints? Yeah, I've heard conversations about that. I, I think it's scarier for me as a designer to to have the absence of constraints. I think that there needs to be, I mean, there's there's always going to be some constraints, you know, from the business strategy side, from understanding uh, who it is that you're designing for and why. And I look at the constraints as tools for, you know, getting to better decisions uh, more quickly. So I think that if, the feeling was that a system was far too constrained that it might be worth you know reevaluating and understanding where that uh, tension or frustration is coming from but generally i think if you take the time to think through systems architecture collaboratively with designers and engineers you're more likely to end up in a place that empowers a, a lot of kind of you know future thinking designs and and designers will feel more empowered than constrained, but that, that's probably you know unique to each system. So yeah, how does that work for for you guys at Vista? Like you know you're you're in the process of a lot of change at the organization, not just the brand, but I'm sure a, a lot of other things in the organization as well as it relates to systems. What are the ways that you guys are are looking at the systems you have now, thinking about that future and adapting them so that they don't feel constraining, that they feel like they're aiding in all the change that's happening. It's it's interesting at, at Vista because um, I, I think it's a little bit atypical of a lot of other organizations with respect to design systems because it, it started more as an engineering led pursuit and so we have um, a, you know a fully functional component library and there were a lot of really smart decisions made about how those components are made available. And there were some really great decisions on the design side too, but I think the engineering sort of outpaced design in terms of uh, guidelines and documentations and things like that. So I'm thinking about, you know, how to express those decisions and, and what that will look like, but then also how to start to bring together other systems and what that might look like. And, and probably that means starting with either design tokens or pilot projects where we can start to kind of experiment and then have that inform what we're doing. So I think at this point, we're probably a little transactional. And then over time, we'll, you know, start to kind of lead with some ideas and hopefully have other folks or adjacent teams around the organization start to see, you know, some of those ideas uh, in, in application and, and work with us in that way. Gotcha. So you're looking to nail the basics and then and then iteratively build from there. And you were just mentioning you had really good adoption what are some of the other things that that you're looking to do either with tooling or with process or with people that are going to help you sort of foster this system across the organization? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we do have good adoption. I mean, I, I everyone from the CEO on down understands the value of working uh, in systems and, um, you know, the efficiencies and innovations that that can help for us. So even, you know, we brought in Knapsack and that's a helpful way for us to kind of visualize what that looks like. I, I think that, that for me is is a big change. Um, you know, when I 
first came on, I was talking about systems with um, uh, some adjacent team members. And I'm a huge fan of Muriel Cooper, you know, MIT Press. And in the research that I did in teaching, looked closely at a lot of the work that she had done. And in, in her earlier efforts, she talked a lot about the reduction of the real-time gap between concept and visualization. For me, that's like a, I think that's a really important construct to keep in mind. And I think that being able to see, you know, bringing the designers closer together with the developers and being able to have those conversations like we talked about earlier uh, is, is super valuable. Yeah, that, that common workspace again, that, that place where a lot of decisions get made and reducing the time between those handoffs. You know, I've, I've definitely been on projects before where the designs that you've received as an engineer are months old. And then when you go to ask questions of, of that design team, because, you know, there's a, a missing bit of fidelity or, or something that is uh, inconsistent, you know, that, that designer might have moved on and, and that's two or three projects ago. And so that, that iterative loop of what are we building? What are the decisions that we're making? What are the ways that we're thinking about this? The faster we're able to make that loop happen, the more real time it is, um, the better off we are. And, and that goes, I think, both for the design and the engineering front. Like we shouldn't have to wait for a build process to be able to visualize our components. We shouldn't have to wait for an engineering review or a creative review meeting um, to get feedback on design. I think that there's a lot more of this sort of real-time way of working that we're all moving towards as we embrace these systems. I think so. And it changes so fast. I mean, not just in, in tooling and ways of working. And I think, you know, what is now an API plugin will eventually become part of the tool that you're using. And the way that we'll communicate on the back end continues to, to kind of rapidly evolve. So I find that to be pretty fascinating. I think that those methods also help to sort of close that gap in, in how we kind of work together. I think also you're asking about the evolution of Vista. One of the other unique challenges is that we're, we're trying to build in as much flexibility into the system overall. You know, we're, we're going through a rethinking of our identity system and brand system and things like that. And that all obviously has uh, an effect on decisions that we make about the product UI. So trying to anticipate that and figure out what's the right way to scale, knowing that we have a lot of kind of future change ahead of us. So when you think about the future considerations of how your system's going to grow and evolve as it becomes more adopted at Vista, what are some of those things that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think um, it's a little bit counterintuitive to me because I've tended with teams that I've led in the past to make sure that we're nimble and and can kind of respond quickly to project needs you know certainly at the associated press which is a breaking news organization there's a need to be quick and responsive and i think now i'm investing a little bit more upfront into some of the processes that will help us scale and really kind of ironing out ways of working and making sure that we engineer in enough um, flexibility so that some of the things that, that we're anticipating coming our way uh, don't become kind of blockers for us as we scale. Gotcha. So you come from a place that is actually engineering-led in its implementation of, of its design system. I think that while that's not unheard of, you know, our experience is it's you know, more than twice as likely that it comes out of the design organization first. What sort of differences has that made for you? And you know, 
how has bringing design in after there's already a, a robust engineering system sort of changed the way you think about this stuff? I don't know that it's changed the way I think about it. I think it's that it's a little bit more uh, just kind of a- adapting to what the environment is. So, you know, for me, code is the source of truth because that's what the users are actually using. And so I, I think it's about building good relationships with the engineering teams and understanding, uh, you know, what's needed in order to have design realized in the way that the UX and product designers are, are thinking about it. And I also think that, again, with the focus on people, I mean, engineers, they have a certain way of working with stakeholders and with other folks and, you know, product folks do and UX. And so I think it's about understanding how to kind of get alignment on what the, um, initiatives and, and the mission is and then figuring out the best way to to make that happen so one last thing kind of relating back to the original part of the conversation around you know you're learning some research here you know as these systems get created there's this necessity for these interdisciplinary cross-disciplinary groups to get closer together is there a historical precedence here in other parts of design or engineering where we can look at a designer today and say pretty definitively that the people that are are designing today in the world of digital are closer to the code they've ever been. And I think that likewise, you could say on the, the front end developer side of things, those folks are closer to design than they've ever been. Is there another historical marker for this sort of like cross-disciplinary need? Man, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, I, I fire the big shots over here. What can I say? Yeah. Um... I don't know that I have an exact example for that. I'm sure obviously there's many throughout history, but I think anytime that teams are coming together to do anything important or at scale, you have to have ways of working together that facilitate listening, prototyping, testing, validating. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a huge initiative or a big company, but you know, you make a good point about that we're a little bit closer now to those disciplines. And I think for me, the, the common thread there is communication. It's about how we communicate with each other in a way that makes it clear, you know, how we need to work together. So there's a lot of different ways that we can do that and some work better than others. But I have learned uh, over the course of my career that understanding communication is is critical to the success of cross-functional teams working together. Awesome. Well, hey, Mike, I really appreciate you being on today, chatting with us about your historical perspective and and what's happening for you, and even a little window into the future. So much obliged. Thank you so much for being on the program. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure to be on with you. I really appreciate it. That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DS Pod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.